This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the non-profit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. to another episode of Warp 5. I'm your host, Brandon Shamutella, and joining me today is the ever-present, ever-wonderful, ever-charming, ever-beautiful, ever-constant Brandy Jacola. <laughs> Hello, I was waiting for you to say effervescent. <laughs> effervescent, there we go, that's a good one. <laughs> Except that's effervescent and not effervescent, but still it's fun. Ever- Hi. Isn't that a band, Evervescence? No, that's Evanescence. I don't know. <laughs> I do. I don't know. I do. I, I was tweeting last night. I was in the kitchen cooking stuff for the kids, and I was like listening to music on Spotify, and I kept tweeting the songs I was listening to. Have you heard Missy Elliott's new song, I'm Better? I have not. Oh my goodness, it is amazing. You need to go and listen to this new song by Missy Elliott. It's just outstanding. I love it. My daughter loves it too. Anyways, I know I don't listen to a lot of Missy Elliott, but I just stumbled across this track and I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. So good to know. <laughs> I will put it on the list. Excellent. Um, Patrick isn't here tonight because Patrick had a fire at work. So yeah. he's at work trying to fix this fire. Um, I didn't know he was a firefighter, but uh... he, <laughs> he's not. Oh, okay, good. Okay, so <laughs> it, it happened I'm not, in an not... electrical box. He's an electrician. Ah, uh, okay. So he wasn't doing his job properly then, and he caused a fire. Oh snap! Why do you immediately jump to that conclusion? An investigation is taking place. Uh, in Canada, it's I think it's guilty until proven innocent. I could be wrong. <laughs> I could be wrong, but you know. <laughs> I sometimes get that confused, but anyways. Well, considering that you're still a British territory, yeah, that could be true. <laughs> uh, no, we love Patrick, and we know we just like to tease him. So we do. We uh, you, Patrick. I, yeah, I couldn't believe it when he sent the pictures. He's like, "Yep, so this happened, and I'm probably not going to make it tonight." So, um, but hopefully, you get everything fixed, Patrick, and we will do these commentaries without you because tonight we're actually doing two episodes of Warp Five. And we've got Ooh. a double special feature for you, uh, because my wife is out of town next week and I'm unable to record, so we had planned to do two commentaries. And tonight, we're going to be giving you the commentary for Shockwave, and next week, you're going to be getting the commentary for Shockwave Part 2. And these are episodes that we haven't really talked about very much here on Warp 5, so I wanted to address those. And and uh, we tried early, one 
we were going to do this one time earlier this summer here when I was about to go on holidays, but then it just kind of fell through, and then this seemed like the perfect opportunity, and then now Patrick's not here. But, oh, we're still going to go ahead. (laughs) Anywho, but before we do that, we've got, you know, a little bit of feedback from our last episode here. (laughs) (laughs) A little a little bit. So yeah, the last episode that aired as of this recording uh, was our episode on Cogenitor with Dan Devey and Barry DeFord. And we got quite a lot of feedback from that. So uh, Brandy is going to read some of the feedback from the Babel Conference. Brandy, yes. do you want to start with that? We, we can't read it all, I'm sorry guys, but we'll yeah. we'll, uh, we'll read the ones that, that uh, well, Brandy chose a few. So Yeah, because you wouldn't help me with that. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm captain. telling everyone. I'm straight telling being everyone. the captain. Son of a motherless goat. Anyway, okay, so I think that this is important to share because it was part of the podcast where um, Barry did get on and uh, published a comment. He says, firstly, thanks to Brandon Shamutella and Brandy Jackala for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure to share space, both physical and airtime, with Dan Devey. I had mentioned a statistic that I can no longer confidently back up. As I understand it, the idea of 33% of people being members of the LGBTQ plus community likely came from a qualitative study published through a psychology, yes, psychology journal that I came across while researching work in my master's degree. For the life of me, I cannot find it and I am frustrated that I am unable to do so. As I understand it, the study asked people who have engaged in activity that would classify as homosexual in some way, shape, or form. This does not mean that they themselves are members of the LGBTQ plus community, but it could shed light on our current concepts of what is, isn't, what we currently conceive as purely existing within a binary. Rather, the study implies that we all exist on a spectrum and are not stationary on that spectrum given personal individual context. This does not mean that being gay, bi, trans, queer is a choice, more that it is a dynamic part of our inborn nature. The 3-4% to 4% actually identifying as LGBTQ+, comes from a quanti- quantitative study that only deals with numbers of people actually openly identifying as somewhere within the community as we as a society currently understand it. The big difference between a qualitative and a quantitative study is that the former doesn't really deal with numbers, more that it deals with human experience as evidence for understanding a phenomenon. Solid numbers become fuzzy, and it was my mistake to cite such a study as objective fact. Quantitative studies are good at getting real numbers, but are subject to norms currently within the world as it is. As our definition of what LGBTQ plus means grows and changes, and here Dan's insights on this issue are articulate and helpful, we may see that the quantitative number we may see that quantitative number change, and on the high end that thirty three percent may not be that far off. For further context, please give the episode of Politrex that Dan came on a listen, as mm-hmm. I share a story with Dan that may shed better light on what I mean. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to engage with this discussion and appreciate the input so far. Live long and prosper. Yeah, you can find Politrex in any of your podcast feeds. I haven't had a chance to listen to that episode myself yet, uh, but I asked uh, we have it. We, I asked Dan, uh, uh, sorry Barry, to post a comment, uh, a link. Goodness, I can barely talk tonight. Post a link <laughs> for the episode in the Facebook thread. Uh, but we we did post a couple of the studies. Like there, there was one that he provided after the fact, and another another listener 
uh, provided another study. So there's a couple studies that are out there. If you find some more, we're just curious to find out these numbers and where the studies are coming from. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I would also like to share a comments from Felicity Quartz Pickens, and we appreciate you, Felicity. Thank you so much for listening or trying to listen. And she says this, I tried so hard to get through this. I'm having difficulty with the failure to properly classify sex as a non-binary characteristic of human beings. There are intersex individuals, and I am having difficulty with the tendency to defer the gender issues to something besides gender issues. Comparisons to bees were great. The comparison to surrogacy was not. As a trans Trekkie, I want to share the knowledge I gained while studying gender gender identity, which is an incredibly complex, delicate, and frequently misrepresented issue. I think this episode of Star Trek an excellent choice for a discussion of the interpretation of non-binary genders. I'll be back for the next episode, but I'm not hard enough to get through this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did the best that we could, and, you know, we said it right at the beginning, I don't know all my terms, I'm learning, so I appreciate that she gave it the episode a chance, and I don't take anything personally by her not being able to listen to the whole, oh, the no, whole no, podcast, no. yeah. No, she was very clear uh, in a later comment, which I will also share. She does say, I like your podcast. I appreciate that this is not something that comes up very often, and the weird combination... <laughs> See, now who can't talk? And the weird combination of third gender and the cogenitor sexuality with uh, the other genders makes it confusing. Is it a gender or sexuality issue? Sexuality, LGB, is very different experientially from gender, T. So as cool as Dan is, I am not sure he was the best subject matter expert to bring in if you wanted to talk about gender. Definitely Trek, certainly sexuality, maybe not gender. That was what I could surmise from listening to him within 22 minutes of a podcast, though. Like I said, I'll catch you all next time. And we we did explain that Dan himself did say that he was not the best person to talk on the gender part. We we had tweeted out that we were looking for somebody, and I didn't quite know who I needed on the podcast, because as I explained, like, I'm just, I don't I'm not exposed to the knowledge and I'm not exposed to the people. I mean, I don't, it's not something that I actively seek out. I don't seek to avoid it. I just don't seek it out as well. Right. So I, we weren't quite sure I had, I had private messaged somebody and then they're like, I'm not comfortable sharing who is identifying as LGBT because they might not want me to share that information. I'm like, okay, well, I didn't think of that either. You know, I'm just like, I sent the message like, Hey, can you tell me who's gay that I can get on my show? You know, like, and I'm like, wait, she's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe we shouldn't, uh, people probably don't want to be knowing that just for that. And I'm like, I guess that's right. I didn't think about that. So, you know, I- I'm still learning and we're doing the best we can. So, True. <laughs> but yeah, Dan himself said he probably wasn't the best person and he did make a few recommendations. So maybe if we address the topic again, we'll get the right person on to talk about it. And maybe that somebody can identify as, as uh, uh, different gender or trans or something like that. You mean um, like Felicity? Yes. The person who <laughs> made the comment, maybe. Felicity? <laughs> you want to come on more by Felicity? Okay. Um, now, one of the interesting things that I, that I have been trying to process about this episode, I've been thinking a lot about it, and I think I'm leaning more towards what they were trying to tell us with the story is not a question of surrogacy and stuff, but I'm thinking that with the need of the cogenitor... They were there to maybe, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like host the baby mm. while it's being created. What's the word I'm looking for? Why don't I know my terms right now? They're like the, not surrogacy, because they're a part of the 
the relationship, but you know, the, the man puts his thing in this cogenitor and the woman puts her thing in, and then she hosts it while it's being born and gestating. There's the word I'm looking for gestation while it's gestating inside the cogenitor. That's, that's how I think I'm choosing to interpret the episode of cogenitor as, as that's what their role is. And the, the reason why I want to interpret it that way is because I think it's harder to remove the cogenitor from the situation, right? Mm. Where, and then that's what makes the cogenitor more essential to the process. So that's my, that's my own personal interpretation of it. And, but, yeah. you know. Well, they certainly didn't explain it to us. So all that we can do is speculate. Uh, I didn't ever think of it as, as that way because I went with Dr. Phlox and him saying he probably, the cogenitor uh, provides a specific enzyme, enzyme. So they don't, they can't have the baby without participating in that particular act. I don't know how that works. I don't know what their reproductive process is apart. You know, all we can do is look at our own reproductive process as far as humanoid life forms. And I don't think that's necessarily what's happening with the cogenitor. We just don't really know. So, but I, I never, I never imagined it as the cogenitor actually carrying the child because I thought it was once they had conceived, then the cogenitor shuffled off to their next assignment. Mm -hmm. Could be. It could be when it was born. Yeah. So it's hard to say. Don't know. We needed those pictures. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we needed no. Flux's pictures. No. With, with a lot of blurring because, you know, you can't show that on television. No. <laughs> anyway, do we have any more comments? I'm going to share one more. And okay. this is from uh, William J. Jackson. Hi, William. Okay. This was at once hard and very, very good. The episode Cogenitor and this podcast episode, my fave of the Trek FM podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Was rough because I'm ace, asexual. So talking about my sex makes my throat and stomach do flips, but it's so hard from my narrow view to see people want to discuss a topic while admitting they know little on it, use science fiction for its true purpose, using reason, and trying to garner wisdom slash awareness from it without the polarized attacks so common to today's social media rants. Kudos to Brandy Jackola, Brandon, Dan, and Bjorn for taking this on. I feel as... I'm not sure actually what he meant here. I think this may be a typo. I feel as done one not trans that a trans person would have helped greatly. Yeah, obviously. Maybe a part two later. Aha. But it made me think a lot about how good this episode was, how bad Archer's decision was, would have loved to follow a follow up to that, and the levels of complexity to the cogenitor issue, gender, sex, control issues, classism, etc. This is an entire anthropology course in one episode. This was well worth the ill feelings and i applaud all those involved for peeling away some of the layers please please keep it up excellent thank you so much we really appreciate it there's there wasn't a lot of negative reaction to the episode and that's something that we always worry about when we try and address like a serious topic you know so um, i'm very happy with the response it's been good and i think people understood what we were trying to say with the episode and that we wanted to discuss it as best we could so thank you everybody for listening we appreciate it we do yes well, um, we while we could talk for another whole hour on Cogenitor again, <laughs> we're yeah. going to jump into a different topic here, uh, and we're going to just jump right into our audio commentary for Shockwave. And I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I watched both of these episodes today, 
And in preparation for this, I watched both episodes, and so I'm looking forward to talking about them. You know, because uh, it, it's not one that we've addressed very often here on Warp 5. And I thought a commentary would be fun because it's a two-part episode, and we haven't done a two-part commentary yet. So, True. Um, excellent. So, listeners, if you're new to Warp 5 and you're new to commentaries, you don't have to. We'll d- watch along. We will do our best to be describing what's going on, and we'll have a little bit of audio underneath. But uh, if you want to watch along, you can. And you can play your video as we play the commentary. And we had a, we've had a few people post pictures on Facebook in the Babel Conference when they were listening while watching. So that's kind of cool to see that. But uh, as far as myself, I've listened to all the commentaries on Track FM, and I actually haven't listened to any with the com- with the show playing. I just listened to the audio myself. So they're they're still pretty easy to follow along with. Uh, but Brandy, are you ready to go? I am as ready as I could possibly be. Excellent. Well, I have our video playing, and I'm sharing my screen, which I ripped from my DVD so that I don't have to worry about playing it on my uh, computer while we're, you know, extra noise from my DVD player or anything like that. Okay, listeners, uh, we'll give you the countdown. Three, two, one, play, and then you can hit play when I say play. And uh, we are going to be watching Shockwave, the season one finale in three, two, one, play. So we got the Enterprise flying by, and we cut to a door opening, and Archer is walking in with T'Pol, and I don't know, some guy, whoever that is. <laughs> uh, that guy, um, 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 Trip, that's his name. Yeah, Trip, that, that guy there, so. Uh, excellent, so, uh, what do you think of this, uh, Brandy, what do you think of this episode off the bat, so when was the last time you saw it? Uh, Saturday was the last time I saw it. <laughs> I watched both parts on Saturday, Excellent. and uh, it's a very interesting beginning to the episode with a bit of a role reversal of a matriarchal society finally starting to give men equal rights. Yes. <laughs> oh, I wanted to look this up. I'm going to do this while we're talking. I'm going to see if I can find this here. I wanted to find out if we had heard of this society, because when you hear matriarchal, we, you know, the only two examples that I know of in Star Trek is Angel One from Next Generation, and then there's the animated series episode. So I'm going to see if these Paradins, I think they're called, let's look it up here, Paragons. Yeah, and they have very specific landing protocols because of their atmosphere, so they have to be very, very, very careful as not to ignite the planet's atmosphere and uh, destroy them all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought this was a very... I think this is a perfect way to end the first season because the, the first season started with Broken Bow. Are we ready? Let's go out there. And they're going out there against the will of the of the Vulcans and whatnot. And then to, so to finish this season with such a tragic accident that's resulting in them being called home, I think is a really perfect way to end the season. What do you think? I agree that it's a good season ender and a good cliffhanger. Because a lot happens in this episode, mm-hmm. and they don't drag a lot of the bits out. And now we see the big accident happening, and uh, now we've got our credits, mm-hmm. our opening credits. It's. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw this episode, and that happened, and I was just flabbergasted, for lack of a better word, that I just, I just didn't, I like no. 
Malcolm didn't do this. He is super careful. So I was immediately thinking something was screwy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking up That's right it. now, and I think it looks like Paragon 2 on Memory Alpha is just... Paragons. Here, I'll click on the Paragon 2 is this planet here that we're talking about. Yeah, the Paragons are just listed in this episode here, so they're not any other race that we've seen in Star Trek before. Hmm. I, I find it difficult to believe in the wide expanse of our galaxy that there are very few matriarchal societies. It seems to me like you'd run into as much of them as you would patriarchal societies because not everybody is, you know, has human quote-unquote sensibilities right i agree i think you'd probably come across 50 50 right right that's <laughs> you know, what i would think <laughs> i don't know it seems like it would be unless of course you know it was a cogenitor spirit species then you might come up with a cogenitor lead that species okay i love how this is directed this opening scene here yes you know with the everybody's like in chaos they don't know what's going on the camera's going around them in order to you know convey that sense of confusion i think this is a really really well-directed scene and and you know uh the guy here that plays reed um which i'm drawing a blank on a name for some reason right now connor dominic dominic keating dominic keating um he's like brilliant in this i think this is his best best acting in the four seasons myself this scene here it, it is a great scene mm -hmm. But, yeah, like, even here where he's just, I don't know, he's just like, they cannot comprehend this thing that's happened. That's impossible. 3,600 colonists were down there. How can they be gone? It's not something that they can comprehend. Yeah. And, and of course, Archer is feeling a little bit panicked, and rightly so. Uh, but not just because, it's, it's, it's not panic because he's worried about what's going to happen to him. He is concerned now about how he's going to explain the death of 3,600 colonists to both his superiors and to those colonists' families. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't imagine having to make that phone call. Ugh, that's, that's just makes me hurt for him. It really does. Because regardless of what actions happened with the crew, which none of them did anything wrong, which we won't find out for a little bit, but... You know, that it still all falls on him, and he has the hardest job of all. Mm -hmm. Okay, i got to ask, you're wearing white headphones here. What kind of headphones are you wearing? Are they iPod ones? Uh, uh, these actually, no, they're skull candy. Okay, because I'm using these iPod ones. My, my daughter took my other over-the-ear ones normally, and these things are just killing my ears. Like, they just no. hurt. They're hard. I don't like them. Hmm. The ones I wear at work are soft. They've got, like, a jelly insert in them, so these ones are... Yeah. That's what the Skull Candy have. Skull Candy is actually a local company, but uh, you can find their products nationally across the U.S. Yeah, they're from Utah. Mm-hmm. Oh, neat. Excellent. Exhaust plasma is about the only thing. Okay, so Archer's got to talk about. Uh, he's got to tell uh, Forrest what happened, and uh, I bet you Forrest is just like, "Hey, John, how's it going, buddy? You did what?" <laughs> And that look on Forrest's face pretty much says it all. It's more or less like, Ugh. you got to make me talk to the Falcons again. John. Well, there is that too. Buddy, I told you not to do this. And he's, of course, just stepping up and saying, I'm supposed to, to contact the home world. And, uh, 
And Forrest has it right. You followed all the the pro protocols that were given. And Archer is having a hard time dealing with this. Because, you know, what the Vulcans are going to do is just, you know, use this as an excuse to say, Haha, we told you. Now shut it down. Again, I'm, I still have trouble with that. I still have trouble understanding why the Vulcans have that authority over the humans. You know, I don't, I just don't understand. Is it something that I'm missing? Uh, it's, I think it's just a matter of everyone sees them as much further advanced technologically and wise. And so they give more credence to them when it comes to things that we have not yet experienced or built than, say, other humans. Because the Vulcans aren't giving them technology. They're not, like, no. helping them. So I just... for for That's, to me, interfering with their culture. To, for them to be like, look, oh, you're not ready. Well, if, if humanity is developing at this rate, and they're like, hey, let's go out there, th then who are the Vulcans to tell them no? That's interfering with their culture. That's interfering with their growth. Yes, well, there's no prime directive on Vulcan, is there? <laughs> but Vulcan, but um, T'Pol has talked about it before, where they're like, we've got this rule where we don't interfere with, with cultures. And, you know, I think yeah, it was brought up in Dear Doctor. With pre-war, yeah. If they're pre-warp societies, we were not a pre-warp society when the Vulcans came to us. We had just tested successfully warp drive. Mm -hmm. So we were no longer considered a pre-warp civilization. Bakula is a great actor. Yes, he is. You this... could just see the pain in his face. Yeah, it just breaks my heart, and he's cuddling there Porthos, and Porthos knows that he's upset. It just makes me hurt for him. Mm -hmm. Just so upsetting. It's still upsetting to me, even though I've seen this episode several times. I still feel his pain. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. We'll get to it at the end there, but when he's leaving and he's trying to be like. The heroic man when he's like leaving the ship i really like that acting there as well mm. you know a lot of that captains that we have at least the male ones have that tone like what people make fun of shatner for it where they like talk in a certain way mm. but i find that avery brooks does that as well and so does scott bacula like not to the same extent as shatner but they do have these very interesting inflections when they speak yeah it's just it's an authority thing i guess What's bread pudding? Bread pudding is delicious. It's kind of what it sounds like. It's basically really super wet bread. That doesn't <laughs> sound good at all. It actually is fantastic if it's done right. Um, I'm not very good at explaining it, but it's kind of like halfway in between bread and pudding, and there's a lot of cinnamon involved and uh, you know milk flavors and etc. And it's actually divine i really love it that we need another 10 or 20 years before we try this again. trips awesome in this 20 years he's so emotional he's great yeah and he's saying they won't buy that he's like really won't they i don't think to paul's the person to tell him he's crazy yeah but she kind of does later <laughs> And now, now we have defeated Archer. He's he's completely resigned to this fate. We need that. If, if some people will get this joke. We need that character in Star Trek timelines. Defeated Archer. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you play timelines? No. Oh, <laughs> no, I don't have time for timelines. <laughs> they don't have time for the time for timelines. They always they have these weird characters and timelines that like they had Reverend Flux as a special character recently, and this is like just one shot from Archer's dream sequence from a night in sick bay when Porthos is sick. <laughs> And they've, like, got this as a character you can play in the game. It's like this thing was on screen for, like, a fraction of a second. It's like, what the heck? Oh, well. Oh, yeah. Hoshi's a prodigy, remember? Don't forget. (laughs) They told us so. It's interesting to see them, though. Like, they get a scene, you know, uh, Mayweather and and Hoshi get a scene together talking about what are they going to do? Because they're the ensigns on the ship. They're the low rankers. Yeah, but she is not going to have trouble finding a place, and she'll be in demand. But I think that Travis actually would, too, because he has no desire to go back to a cargo ship. Yeah. He could get a job around Earth. Oh, he could get a job on another... He could get a job on the Columbia, except now they've grounded the Columbia that isn't fully built yet, because Vulcans. (laughs) They probably haven't started building Columbia yet at this point. I would think they would have had to start building it. Do you know how long it takes to build a starship? Like at least a week. (laughs) Well, back in this time, I would think it would take more like three or four weeks. Because we don't, I think the first time we see the Columbia being built is at the end of season two, right? In, uh, what is it, the Zindi or the Expanse? Whatever the season finale is. Uh, The Expanse. The Expanse. Uh, I think that's the first time that we see it being built. Yeah. Well, it takes a lot of time to get that thing going, and once you've got the structure, then it goes faster. <sighs> yeah, they they probably would be building it at this point too, because yeah, then it takes off at the start of season four is when it's launched, I believe, right? Yep. So. Oh, and I love Paul going. Is this what humans call feeling sorry for themselves? Is she out of line? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I don't think so either. But this is, I think this is in character for Archer to be this way. But Absolutely. It's good that yeah, but it's good that T'Pol's there as support, you know? Yeah, because he now feels completely and totally responsible, not only for the deaths of 3,600 people, but also for uh, the Vulcan High Command basically revoking the warp program. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's got all of that weight on his shoulders. And he's just, he's given up fighting way too, a little too easily, but I understand the guilt part of it that's making him feel like he doesn't deserve to fight for it. How do you feel about plot elements, the stories where they do that, um, where they're like, something happens and when they get back to Earth or whatever, because this happens a lot in Star Trek novels, where some admiral on Earth is written to read into their actions in a negative way. Mm. You know, like, how, how, how do you feel about it when they show that on shows or when they have that in books? Where we know, because we're the viewers, well, no, they were, they were right to do it that way. But yeah. then you come across that character who's like, wow, they just painted, and because they interpreted it a certain way, it's, like, really negative. Yeah, well, I uh, that actually just really irritates me, re- honestly, because you cannot understand a situation simply by reading about it. 
you cannot understand all of the little things that happened leading up to, during, after, etc. You weren't there. You didn't participate in it. You're reading a report, and a report is just a listing of events. It's not sharing thoughts and feelings. And it's absolutely unfair to take just that report and interpret it any way other than how it's laid out. But that's what people do all the time. I love this scene between uh, Flux and Trip here. Yeah. He's like, when he mentions that, uh, you know, that uh, Saval's been nominated a whole bunch of times, like recognized for a lot of great crown achievements and whatnot. And then... Uh, just the way that Trip gets mad, but you could tell he's not mad at Flox, and Flox yeah. can tell that he's not mad at Flox. You know, it's just a good moment between some friends. I really like this scene. Yeah, except they keep saying Saval kind of weird. <laughs> Do they? They keep saying Saval. crazy. They keep saying Saval. <laughs> like, uh, up until now it was Saval, but okay. See you later, Doc. Yeah, there you go. I'll see you later, Doc. Like, the Doc knows he's not mad at him. They know they're just playing around a bit. Okay, now here's where stuff starts to get weird. I know, blue underwear. How weird is that? I know, really? It's like, is that is that shorts and a tank top? I hope it's not a unitard. That would be bad. Oh, man. Matter boy. I would not look good in that. <laughs> Nobody looks good in that. Okay, here we go. Time travel. Oh, boy. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Up. Shirtless archer. But, you know... At least he's not wearing the unitard anymore. I'm not sure it was unitard. I'm sure it was shorts and a, and a tank top. I'm sure I'm it was sorry. shorts and shirt as well. Yeah, it's fine. Honestly, I wear as few clothes to bed as possible because it's easier to regulate my body temperature. So what would you do if you woke up 10 months ago? Um, If I woke up 10 months ago, good grief, that would be November. Oh, oh. wait, quiet. I'm going to turn this part up. This music is so good by McCarthy. Okay. So late, Captain, but all three inspection pods are getting their weekly overhauls tonight. They tell me they won't be ready until noon, so I figured you might want to sleep in. I wish I would have stopped earlier, but yeah, this is great music. This part is one of my favorite tracks by McCarthy. Yes. Excellent. And now Archer knows he's reliving the same events. And yet it's him with his knowledge of the future. And now he's talking to himself. I think he knows something's going on. He's talking to the dog. What are you talking about? He's not talking to himself. He's talking to Porthos. He's not talking to Porthos. He's talking to whoever is doing this. Because he knows someone is doing this to him. And now he's confirming by asking about Phlox, whom at this time he knew nothing about. Well, yeah, he's he's reasonable. Like he's still able. He's still got his senses. He's like, I'm gonna figure this out. You know, he's not mm -hmm. willing to accept it. I think nobody would in this situation. Yeah, he's going about it in a very pragmatic and uh, methodical way. Do you believe time travel is gonna be possible ever? Um, I believe that all things are possible. Yeah, I don't think and time travel will ever happen. I don't know that it will happen in the way that it's been portrayed in books and movies and television. I think it will be on a more non-corporeal level, is my guess. But See, people say time travel is possible because you just got to get fast enough and then you have relativity 
and then you you know you end up getting there. You, you, time hasn't passed for you, but it's passed for other people, and so that's what they consider time travel. And I'm like, well, to me, that's not what time travel is. And you can call it that, but that's like people saying dinosaurs are still on the Earth because we still have lizards. You know, like, fine. And, yeah, and birds. And birds. It's actually birds. Birds, birds yes. would be the closest relation to dinosaurs. It's okay, Sam Neill from Jurassic Park. <laughs> Seriously, though, pluck the feathers off a bird, and there are a lot of similarities. Pluck the feathers off a bird, and it better be a turkey and going in my oven. Do you like turkey? I do, actually. Turkey's good. Why don't they have, like, Kentucky Fried Turkey? Because it's bigger and harder to cook. They could deep fry that stuff. Yeah, they could, but it's still harder to cook. Let's do it. Okay, Kentucky Kentucky Fried fried Turkey. Utah fried turkey? Does that have a ring? <laughs> we do fry a lot of stuff here. <laughs> UFT. I, I not as many as in as much as in the south. In the south, they really they they deep fry everything they can. Yeah. We have a snack you can get: deep fried pickles, and I love them. Ooh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, they're, they're common up here at restaurants. So I like Okay, okay, so Daniels is now here oh, yeah, the show, and the show, yes. telling, yeah, telling Archer, "Hey, this wasn't supposed to happen, and you didn't do this." So now the temporal cold war being brought back into it. Too bad we never had a satisfying resolution to that in the entire series. Maybe we would have in a later season, but we never got that far. We get to season four. They resolved it in uh, Stormfront. Not really. Not really. They kind of did. What do you think of, uh, like, I mean, I'm glad that they brought this back for the finale as well, the uh, the Temporal Cold War, because yes. it's something that they, they started, and they're like, what the heck do we do with this thing? And so they only brought it back, like, once, I think. The only, there was only one other time. I, think it was, I can't even remember the name of it, but I think it's episode 12 in season one, where they have one mention of it when they have Daniels. And then they... It's here, and I think that's it for the first season. It's just this, those three yeah. episodes, you know? Pretty much. So at least they remembered, oh, yeah, we're supposed to be uh, doing this uh, temporal Cold War thing. We better write something about that. And now Archer is all business. This is business, Archer. They were framed. Yeah. And now they're getting down to business. If only they had Matlock to help them figure this out. I know, right? He's from the South. I bet he deeps fries a lot of things. Uh, Matlock. I used to watch Matlock uh, all the time when I was a teenager. I, I watched them all because my mother did. I have watched every detective slash courtroom show that there was to see in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and part of the 90s as well. Because I wasn't alive in the 60s, but they did rerun a lot of stuff. I've seen every episode of Perry Mason. I don't know what this is that he's trying to show off here. He's like, look at this, because of this and this and this. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. Well, that's because it's something that they have to build, and it's not something that's been invented yet. And so Archer's trying to explain what Daniels explained to him, and that's basically a bunch of technobabble. Future technobabble. Mm-hmm. What if they called that next Star Trek show that? Star Trek technobabble. <laughs> Starring Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard. It would be a little on the nose. (laughs) 
There's always going to be techno babble in Star Trek. Always. I love how Trip is confused. He's like, I just spent two hours with Daniels. He's on the ship? No, not exactly. No, I was in the past. And, you know, the Vulcan science directorate has determined that time travel is not possible. I agree, Paul. I agree. You can't, you can't agree because there's so much about this universe we don't know. Time travel, no. Vulcans, yes. <laughs> I, I'm not ruling anything out. Everything's impossible until it isn't. Well, that's not true, okay? Because my, I had a, fr <laughs> I had a friend in high school who tried to convince me that, like, the the universe is so vast. That there's a planet out there shaped like a t-shirt. And I'm like, man, you're full of it. And like, Because gravity would make planets at least sort of circular. Yeah. You're not going to have no t-shirt shaped planet. Well, no, that's just absurd. Exactly. But, I'm but everything's possible until it's not. Well, technically that's true. Because when you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. I don't know what that means. <laughs> no, I do. I'm it's, just kidding. it's a Sherlock Holmes thing. Gosh. Is it? I thought it was a Star Trek thing. It's a Sherlock Holmes thing. It Wasn't was a Sherlock Holmes thing Spocks? before it was Star Trek. Okay, Daniel's room. I love that. We. I wish we could see more stuff from the future. Right. I want to see all of the stuff. And the future we do get to see doesn't have any of the cool stuff. It just has a lot of old books. And a statue that's you know not there. <laughs> we need a Lower Decks episode yes. all about Daniel's roommate. <laughs> like, after he finds out. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Just be like, my roommate, what? <laughs> he was a time traveler. Yeah, I would, I would be hard-pressed to not look at this stuff here. Yeah, that would be hard. And Archer's really good about it. He's like, nope, we're taking this and only this. Yeah. Because he is making sure that their case is going to be airtight. He does not want any loose ends, any hint of impropriety. Anyways, back to this Lower Decks episode with Daniel's roommate. <laughs> he could be like the other waiter that we see in Archer's uh, breakfasts. Mm. Right? Because that's what Daniel's was doing that one episode when we finally met him. Yes. And, and it's funny because we see random people handing food, you know, putting food on the table for Archer in How a few How many episodes. of them are time travelers? He, uh, maybe all of them. Maybe all of them. We don't I even love know. It. Maybe Chef is a time traveler. Star Trek, Chef. Ah, <laughs> yes, new series. Chef yeah. is future man. Future guy. <laughs> <laughs> I want that now. Played by... Gosh. Jonathan Frakes. Na yeah, no, it'd have to be Jonathan Frakes. It would. would. It would. Uh, honestly, like when he walks by in Catwalk, I'm picturing that's Jonathan Frakes walking by. <laughs> that's my headcanon now. You know? <laughs> oh, that's great. You just All see right. chef's feet. They, they made beacons. Now they're deploying beacons. Now they're looking at stuff. And now they're activating the beacons. Oh. <gasps> Stuff is coming too. I also don't believe in invisible ships. 
They're not invisible. They're just reflecting light in a specific way. So I saw this video on Facebook of these people like walking around this fair and their outfits were all like glass. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Oh, that was so cool looking. Wasn't it, though? It must have been extremely uncomfortable. And how do you pee in something like that? Uh, sharply. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, now we're going to disable this ship. <laughs> yeah, this is what I'm here for, the phasers. Yeah. Good stuff. Thank you, random guy that we've never seen before. We should just edit... Jim Morehouse's face on that guy. Right? That's what I was thinking when I watched this on Saturday. I'm like, why isn't this Jim Morehouse? <laughs> Star Trek All Enterprise, extras. the Jim Morehouse edition. <laughs> All extras should be Jim Morehouse. <laughs> Take those episodes where it was, um, oh my gosh, Seth MacFarlane and just put Jim, Jim. Morehouse in there and stay. <laughs> Get rid of Seth MacFarlane, put Jim Morris on there. Oh, no, Seth, I'm sorry. I wouldn't do that to you. We'll just composite Jim Morehouse in beside him. It'll be fine. Seth, if you're listening, we want to interview you because you were on Enterprise. Yes, please. You're listening, please right, come Seth? On the show. Yeah, totally. <laughs> come on. You know you want to. Look at this. Even their... Everything's hexagonal about these people. Even their doors. They really do love their geometric shapes. That's like OCD the next level. Like, <laughs> I want a hexagon. Like, well, just it's, it's... just imagine that. They're like, some some guy is just like submitting the plans for the ship. And he's like, hexagons everywhere. Well, it is kind of, in a way, um, it works because it's sort of a hive sort of look. And they do have those tiny cell ships. Mm -hmm that are basically like bees, but very deadly bees. And uh, I think it was in Broken Bow that we see a bunch of those attached to a station. Yep. It's kind of like a hive, a colony. But did they so. have the colony and then decide to make them hexagons? Or they're like, hey, we're hexagons, let's make a colony. Yeah, I don't know. That's a chicken or the egg question, and I don't have the answer to it. Ten more meters. We don't know what a meter is here in America because we still refuse to adopt the metric system. 3.3 feet is a meter. Ah, thank you. I appreciate that. So two meters is 6.6 .6 feet. Excellent. Okay. So when Picard says he always yeah. hoped to hit two meters, that's how tall he wanted to be. Hmm. But he didn't. My brother-in-law Phil is two meters high. He's a tall, tall man. Do you call him two meter Phil? No, I don't, but I'm going to. <laughs> it's like Stuntman Mike. Who's Stuntman Mike? He's a stuntman. <laughs> Have you not seen Death Proof? No. Who's two meter Phil? He's Phil, he's two meters tall. <laughs> yeah. Uh... I'd love to know what this skin was made out of. Um, oatmeal? I don't know. <laughs> it looks like sandpaper. Like, it kind of does seem like sandpaper, but it has to be more pliable than that, obviously. So I'm thinking, like, there was oatmeal involved at some point. Okay, so they're trying to escape the Suleiman ship because they stole some stuff from them. Oh, yes, they stole some data disks that they were told to steal by Daniels. They stole. Yeah, it's the secrets to find the warp whistles on Super Mario 3. 
Oh, fantastic. I really need that. Can I get a copy? <laughs> Do you remember the Warp Whistles in Mario 3? Oh, totally. Totally. I, I still play that game from time to time. I had an Xbox modded, and it just doesn't work anymore, so I can't play it anymore. I'm so sad. I'm so sorry. Because it had all the Dragon Warrior games on it. I was a Nintendo kid. I was an Atari 800 kid. Look it up, folks. If you don't know what that is, just go Google it. I'm just surprised you had electricity when you were a kid. You know, so am I, because we were like the first ones on the block to get it, and it was very exciting. Electricity or the Atari? Electricity. (laughs) Hey, I was yes-anding. That's what we do. Now, we were like one of the last people to get a game console of any kind, or a computer of any kind. I didn't get a game console until I was older, and we didn't have a VCR. Like, we had to borrow my grandpa's VCR. I remember for, like, many years we had to borrow my grandpa's VCR. Alright, they've escaped safely with their stuff, and they're bugging out. And we think everything's yay, they're going to meet with the Vulcan ship, and it's all going to be great, and the Vulcans will believe everything, and... never be that easy. You know what would be really funny is that some once it w- really was just that easy and then the rest of the episode is just kind of filler. <laughs> just like getting to know each other. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're done now. Um, what, what do you guys want to do? Uh, I want to see a scene where Hoshi actually explains to, to Reed what she had to do to get the pineapple secret. <laughs> yes. Yes. You just get ten minutes of her telling, telling again. Would this Agreed. not be creepy? Like finding pictures taken of like your ship and you didn't realize it. Oh yeah, this is definitely creepy. It's very stalker. That's and a bad cloaking reason. device, though. If they can yeah. get it on camera. They were docked with the shuttle pod for nearly two minutes. They were docked with the shuttle pod. They sabotaged the mission. They killed 3,600 people just to get Archer sent home and the warp program delayed. Ugh, that's not great. Yeah, but I, tactically, I mean, like, it's not a lot of people to, you know, to get the mission to end. I mean, like, I don't know, like, if it's, there's going to be more people dying than, like, 3,600 people is a lot of people. But, I mean, it's not a lot of people, you know? Yeah, but they were not in any way, shape, or form involved in this temporal cold war. I they agree. They were innocent bystanders. I agree. But if and you could... That is not that's okay. one of those things with war that that like people don't understand, and they'll never be able to understand. Look, There's your help it, ship, yeah. Yeah, it looks like a hive. Okay, so they got rid of it pretty quick, but didn't they used to, like, have that future echo thing happen whenever they leave these rooms, and then they got they dropped it? They're like, this is way too expensive. Yeah, they kind of had that, and now they don't. And maybe that was a special chamber that doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. I am future guy. I know the future. I think this is, their whole makeup is a stipple effect. Stipple? Stipple. What's stipple? It's basically you take a sponge and you dab over and over and over and create texture. But you have to have a lot of paint to do it. 
or how I suddenly had the ability to And now he's explaining why time travel is possible. And while they're at it, they might as well tell me how I knew where to find No, it's not. <laughs> you don't know that. It, you but cannot disprove it, so therefore it is still possible. Yes. Just like God. Exactly. But you can't <laughs> prove God either. You can neither prove nor disprove. You have same with time travel. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's inherently impossible because you can't prove it or disprove it. I wonder what that would be interesting if they would have said, like, the Vulcans have determined All they say is they've determined it. That's just like... You know, I'm just picturing like the Vulcan leader just tweeting, "Time travel's not possible." <laughs> nope. <laughs> and like, okay. And it just and it just spread on Vulcan Twitter, and then it spread to Vulcan Facebook, and then there was, there was a, a lot social of media war, and because they, they you know like social media exists i mean when uh, was a Diane Duane wrote Fox world they had that proto facebook on uh, in that yes. book you've read that, that book true. eh i haven't read it in a really long time i did listen to the literary tracks about it and it did bring back some great memories and i'm going to it's a good book get back to that one of these days uh captain get your butt out here we got problems yeah, yeah, there's a problem. And Trip, of course, thinks it's something that they're doing. <laughs> what are you guys doing to my engines? Where's my catfish? <laughs> is catfish gross? Uh, I am allergic to fish oil, <laughs> so all fish is gross to me. Oh. I don't mind fish. It's not my favorite thing. We had tuna helper for supper last night. Tuna I can sometimes eat, sometimes, but only in small amounts. But like fish oil, anything with fish oil, dietary supplements, protein bars, etc., I can't have, makes me very, very ill. Oh, they're loading torpedoes. I like it when they load torpedoes. This is a great scene here. So they're deploying those beacons from before that are like able to see through the cloaks of these ships here. And when they, like, they shoot out behind them and they see them and then they go down. When they pan down and there's, like, more underneath them, it's like, oh, that's awesome. Mm. Yeah. And I love that these beacons, they keep these beacons and they use them again in the future. I love that continuity. See? They're in bees! Bees! bees. The jig is up, as they say. Do you think Silik's a good reoccurring villain for Enterprise? I like Silik because he has this bizarre, wavering moral code <laughs> that yeah. we just never understand. And so you never really know what he's going to do, and that's interesting to me. John Flex, the actor, he was uh, the Romulan in D Space Nine's Inter Arma Anum Silent Legus. And then he was I mean, on a great show called Carnival on HBO. Yeah, I was just happy that we got to see what he really looked like in Stormfront. Mm -hmm. I had to think really hard how to say that properly. John Fleck, if you're listening, we want to interview you. John, we, we love you, man. Yes. Come on the show. Come yes. on the show. We think you're great. The biggest crime of television over the last 
I don't know how many years is the cancellation of Carnival. I think. Okay. I've, I've never seen it, so I have no frame of reference. Oh, it's so good. It's this set. Uh, Clancy Brown's in it. I love me some Clancy Brown. Yeah, and then the guy from Terminator 3. John Connor from Terminator 3 is in it. I've never seen Terminator 3 Nick in its entirety. Something. Can't remember his name, but. Anyways, uh, yeah, so it's basically good versus evil in like the. Um, what's that What's that dry era of the 20s or whatever? What was that called? Prohibition. Not not dry alcohol, but like no oh. no water. There was like the Dust Bowl. Uh, the Dust Bowl? Yeah. I just like the Great Depression. The Great Depression. Prohibition. The stock market crash. What do you want? <laughs> I think it was like they called it the Dust Bowl, right? Okay, so. right. Um, anyways, and Clancy Brown's the bad guy, but he's a preacher. This is crazy. And the other guy's the good guy, and he's like this wanderer who's working in this carnival. Do whatever you can to help her. All right, Archer's giving himself up. That goes for all of them. See, this scene here, he does a really good job, where he's like trying to be strong for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I think it's weird when he gets in the elevator and doesn't turn around in the turbo lift. Maybe the turbo lift opens on the other side when he gets out. I don't know, that's still weird. Eh, Remember, no cheese. Only I can give him cheese. See here, like, he reaches behind him to push the button. That's weird. No, like he reached to the side. He's crying. And no, it doesn't <laughs> open in front of him, because look, it opens behind him, and he turns around again. See? Except he's... Well, that's it. He's hiding his feelings. Yeah. That's what he was doing. And he came out into a big old mess. Yes. Looks like something out of Fallout 4 in there. A very dangerous game, so Commander. Game? He has 30 seconds left. Did he think I wasn't serious? And now this whole thing about, ah, oh, you're playing with us. And they're like, uh, oh, actually, no. We don't know what's going on. And they really, really don't. I'm not reading his bio signs. He must be on the Sulaban ship. Yes, uh, that must be a very frustrating position to be in <laughs> when they're really like, no, seriously, he's not here. So the interesting thing is, like, this one here, the episode is just called Shockwave, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, like, the first time I watched this, I didn't know that it was going to be a to-be-continued. Yeah, none of us did. I like that they, they held that, because there's times when they call it part one, right? And you know that there'll be more yeah. coming. But this one, we didn't know. Because, like, I to be consistent, because Star Trek generally tries to kind of be consistent, I think, you know, and no first season had had a to-be-continued at the end before, you know? That's true. Other seasons, yes, but not season one. Right. Like, even Voyager's season two was the first one, and that was unique for them, because... You know, we did. I guess the gem had R at the end of season two of Jesus Nine. It's not to be continued, but it like led into the next season. You know, and it kind of yeah. left on cliffhanger. But Deep Space Nine had cliffhangers without to be continued. They just were like cliffhangers, right? Yeah. Seriously, it's like I'm playing Fallout Four right now. <laughs> what city do you think this is? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to go with. I was going to say San Francisco is my guess. Because that's where Starfleet started out, and 
it continues well into the future, so my guess is that it would probably be there. You're in the 31st century, and my hair is weird. His hair is weird. You know, he looks like one of those guys from, uh, what was <laughs> Galaxy Quest. From Galaxy Quest. <laughs> yes. When we were at Vegas, there was a couple dressed up as the as the aliens from Galaxy Quest, and they were great. They were, like, looking all around where people were trying to take their photos, and you had to, like, Boo. guide them. And then they would, like, when they were done taking their picture, they'd be like, ah, la, 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 Love it. Ah, oh, fantastic. He does. He looks oh. like Galaxy Quest Daniels. Mm-hmm. See, that'd be a character that they'd put in uh, Star in Trek timelines, timelines as well. Because yep. then they'd just put random random characters. Oh, you better trademark that really fast before someone takes the idea. <laughs> <laughs> Galaxy Quest Daniels. Yep. Yeah, I love Archer's very simplistic. Oh, if this is the consequence, you better send me back. Well, duh. There's nothing to send you back with, brother. What do you think? You're looking at a burned-out city. I They do that sometimes, though, at finales. Like, the Broken Link, the season four finale at D-Space Nine, I just watched it. And they like when they go in on Odo and he's, like, realizing that Gowron's the changeling, he's like, what is it, Odo? They're like, I saw him. Gowron. I saw him in the vision. Gowron. The leader of the Klingon Empire. That person that's on the screen right there. The one that we're looking at right now. That person <laughs> right there. Gowron is a changeling. And it's like, nobody talks like that. And I don't no know. One. Broken Link's a good episode, but that ending is just like too long. Mm. I'd, Agreed. I'd just be like, yo, that Gowron dude, he's a changeling. Yeah, that's what you do. Yeah. It takes two seconds. Yeah. Okay, so we're done. We're done the first part of this, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And I... Yes. I can't believe it's already over. The next episode will be even shorter. <laughs> it really won't. It's about the same length. No, it's season two. They're two minutes shorter. They, they cut them down oh. so they get more commercials in. Yeah, and th things keep getting shorter these days because it used to be like in the 80s that hour long shows had about eight to 10 minutes of total commercials in them. Yep. And now it's, you're lucky if you get 40 minutes. Now hour long shows have like 40 minutes of commercials in them. Yes. <laughs> they sh we, I really want it to be like, um, like England where they put all of the commercials in between the shows. And so you don't get interrupted because when they show Doctor Who here, they have to put in commercial breaks and it doesn't ever work. They always cut it off in weird places. I've only seen one episode of Doctor Who and that was the Blink episode. Uh, please don't judge all of it by that because... I thought it was a great episode. Uh, it is a great episode until you realize that the writer of that episode, who became the showrunner, only really has certain three certain tricks that he keeps doing every single episode oh. he writes. So catchphrases, creepy children, and uh, what was the third one now? Oh, time jumps that are never, ever mentioned again. Oh, well, I thought Blink was great. That's the only episode I've seen of the new one, and I thought it was awesome. So, Honestly... The reason that that was so great was because of Carrie Mulligan as Sally Sparrow. She is the bomb. I'll take your word for it. She is. Well, talking about Doctor Who is not the only thing we've been discussing here on the network this week. So please take a listen to this clip and see what else you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. 
Previously on Trek.fm, Primitive Culture, a look at history and culture through Star Trek. You know, I remember the freedom of having my own car, and believe it or not, I actually had a Plymouth Fury. It wasn't a 58, right? No it way. Was a, it was a 73, <laughs> but yeah, my first car was a Plymouth Fury, and there was this is the movie was part of the reason why. When I saw that for sale, it was a cheap car. I paid like 500, 300 bucks, something like that for it. It was in really Brandon, good shape. you really you really didn't take the message of this movie. <laughs> you went out and bought one of those cars. <laughs> it was yellow. It wasn't red, you know. So who knows? Someone might have sprayed it. Standard orbit. <laughs> We recorded most of the Shatner episodes. Every now and then we missed. We're like, okay, we'll get it next round with Nimoy. We kind of thought it'd be the same thing. It's like, oh, there's going to be no difference. It's just Spock reading it instead of Kirk. No, completely different, right? So it's like, oh, crap. We should have bought 160 tapes instead of 80 for this. Literary Treks. I did like the scenes with his family and Riker, you know, spending the night at the home, getting up in the morning, having breakfast with the family. Oh, look, they made him coffee. There was just, there was just something really nice and settling about Riker just being in that situation and being treated with such respect and with arms around him, you know, just welcoming him and making him feel at home. And I guess you don't really feel that all that often in many Star Trek stories when you beam down to a planet and you're just welcomed into somebody's home and you're just seeing what a normal, happy family is like. Warp 5. That's kind of how Trip acted, though, right? He he needed to see this. He needed to actually step in uh, to the situation, and and I appreciate that. You know, like a lot of people give him some flack for being kind of pig-headed, or I think they even almost assume that he has a problem with the three genders. And he's like, no, I don't have a problem with the three genders. I have a problem that this third sex. I, I guess they get it wrong. Enterprise, the writers should have said sex the entire time. They should have said sex, but I'm guessing, you know, they're on TV, and if they say sex a whole bunch, they might get uh, the wrong the wrong idea. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join in the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You will find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, desktop, iTunes app, etc. to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published and please leave us a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, we got your backs. You can find our show on shows. <laughs> you can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps. And failing all of that, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab that RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Warp 5. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Brandy, where can people find you when you're not sneaking up behind somebody to put something on their back? <laughs> I'm always doing that. I have time for nothing else. Uh, no, seriously. Brandywine12 on Twitter. Brandy's with an I. Wine in the usual way. 12 is a number. You can also find me hanging out in the Babel Conference from time to time. You will find me popping up on other Trek FM shows. Uh, hopefully, when we have Discovery, which I hope will be soon, in early, early in the new year, you will 
you will see live from the edge again coming back at you. And uh, I'll pop up on the 602 Club from time to time. I love reading assignments. Bruce and Dan at Literary Treks, please give me another one. And I do a podcast with my wonderful, fabulous, endlessly entertaining husband, Dave, called the Dark Corner Podcast, where we look at pop culture and pretty much whatever else we want at a sort of different point of view, darker point of view. And there are swears in that. So don't listen if you don't like swears and you can find it at darkcornerpodcast.com. So Brandon, when you are not vehemently insisting that time travel is not possible, where can people find you? You can find me trying to, man, these earbuds are killing me. I'm fingering my ears here. It's hurting. (laughs) Ow. Excruciating. Apple, get new earbuds. I caroba. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Brandon Matella. You can find me uh, here on the network with Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. And I got a really cool interview coming up that I did today. And you can find me over on the Fandom Podcast Network with my friends Chris and Tom. And we have a show called Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast, where we talk all about Alfred Hitchcock's films. And you can find me over on the Talk Film Society, where we're getting pretty close to the end of the Halloween H4O podcast that I'm doing with Zach Moore. And, uh, yeah, I guess I also have Breaking the Waves on Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I recorded my second episode. It should be out relatively soon if it's not out yet. Our good friend Patrick, uh, you can find him. He's cloaked today. That's why you can't see him. You yeah. can find him yeah. on Twitter at MagicDrop5. He is also on The Edge, which is our Star Trek Discovery podcast here on the network. Yes, and also um, we need to build the beacons so that we can turn them on and find Patrick because we have lost him. Did you say bacon? <laughs> So if you would like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all of those details. There are perks, including early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. So much more. And it's all available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires so much money to produce, host, and distribute all of these shows each month, and we appreciate any support you can give us, and we hope you'll join the team. So, again, find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And at this time, we'd like to thank our wonderful associate producers of Warp 5. We have so many of them, they could almost be a cabal of their own. All right, yeah. Yeah. Producer cabal. we got Norman C. Lau, Floyd Dorsey, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, Justin Ozer, Mark Flessa, Chris Chibuzio and Jim McMahon. Thank you guys so much for your support of Warp 5 and Trek FM on a whole as well. We really appreciate your support and we definitely couldn't do it without you. Well, join us again next week when we cover the commentary for Shockwave Part 2, which was the Season 2 premiere. But until then, keep calm and don't burn any atmospheres. (laughs) 